All righty, welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the privilege to speak with Jim Prozer, author of Savage Messiah, How Jordan Peterson is Saving Western Civilization. Before we get started, I wanted to draw your attention to a book on the Canon shelf, Rules for Reformers by Douglas Wilson. Why don't evangelicals win the culture wars? Maybe it's because we think it's an opportunity to be winsome, inclusive, and welcoming. But this side of heaven, there are going to be enemies who hate the truth and are ready to take advantage of us. We need a new playbook. In Rules for Reformers, Douglas Wilson poaches the political craft of radical progressives and applies it to the Christian efforts in the current culture war. The result is a spicy blend of combat manual and cultural manifesto. Rules for Reformers is a little bit of proclamation of grace, a little bit of art of war, and a little bit of analysis of past embarrassments and current cowardice, all mixed together with a bunch of advanced knife-fighting techniques. As motivating as it is provocative, Rules for Reformers is just plain good to read. So, without further ado, meet Jim Prozer. Okay, now welcoming on a special guest, Jim Prozer. Did I get that right? That's correct. Prozer. Welcome to the show. I really appreciate you coming on, sir. Thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. So, Jim, you wrote a book called Savage Messiah, How Jordan Peterson is Saving Western Civilization. How's that going? Um, well, I, you know, I, I don't really track sales, so I'm not, you know, I'm just... I don't think I'm super superstitious, but I just I don't bother to track sales. So I won't know for a couple of months about how it's going, except that, you know, people have been uh, calling to ask me my, my opinion on things having to do with Jordan. Sure. sure. Uh, particularly, he hasn't been feeling well. Sure. Um, so I'm glad people are talking about him, concerned about him, uh, reading his work. And uh, I'm happy to to add to that knowledge. Jim, let's say someone's been living under a rock since about 2016, maybe just taking refuge from the internet. Um, who is Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson is a clinical psychologist in Toronto, Canada. He uh, is also a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto, and uh, he has become most well known after his his very principled and eloquent stand against the proposed C-16, the law that was passed in the Canadian Parliament, which restricts freedom of speech by imposing government-approved speech having to do with gender pronouns, in that it is the law in Canada that you must use the correct pronouns for transgendered people which uh, he violently, not violently, but he, he vociferously opposed. And um, that has made him a darling of the conservatives and uh, a boogeyman of the liberals. He was somewhat well-known before then, correct? He was somewhat well-known. He had been publishing his lectures on psychology and mythology and the psychological um, motivations and underpinnings of mythological artifacts that we find in our Western civilization. 
and he had gained about, um, uh, I think it was nearly a million or just over a million uh, YouTube subscribers by the time he took a public stand against the Canadian government and the ideological forces of postmodern neo-Marxism that foisted speech codes, government speech codes on the, on the Canadian public. So someone who is listening and is totally out of, out of the know, um, you were mentioning his lectures were growing, his YouTube page is growing, and he's doing sort of mythological structures and how that relates uh, to his students. Uh, this sounds uh, pretty niche and not at all, maybe not at all interesting to a lot of people. What is it that his work is accomplishing? What is it about that content that connects with people? He's giving people meaning. He's in, in, in interjecting and um, offering the, the paths to create meaning in modern lives. As so many people have fallen under the spell of this uh, postmodernism and neo-Marxism, which is a nihilistic belief that there is uh, patriarchal oppression, that there is such a thing as intersectionality, that there is, you know, value in the in the concepts of diversity, inclusion, and equity. He opposes that worldview, and as a result, directs people to the traditional Judeo-Christian Western values to create meaning in their life, so they're not left with that nihilistic um, Marxist. Uh, philosophy. So uh, in your book, one of the lectures that you mentioned, the reality and the sacred. Yes. Did I get that right? Um, yes. So you're mentioning he's combating basically the water that everybody swims in. Um, he's sort of driving everyone back to there's a sort of cosmos that does exist that you have meaning in and that you, you, know, you can wake up and have meaning and the things that you do has meaning. Maybe give us an example. Can you bring that down a little bit? Uh, and I was sure. thinking maybe reality in the sacred was a great way to do it. Well, reality in the sacred has to do with the perception of reality. So reality is essentially what your perception is. And if there is no nothing sacred in your perception of reality, then you have essentially no meaning, that you're left with a, um, a relativistic worldview that posits that we're no different than animals and that Western civilization is no different than uh, any other civilizations. We're all equally valuable. And uh, that's patently false in my view and, and in, I think, Dr. Peterson's view as well. To go along with what you're saying, he, he throws up on the screen a picture of George and the dragon. Um, can you talk a little bit about that in terms of yeah, that that's that's an, an an ancient creation myth brought forward in that the dragon represents the forces of chaos, which are uh, constantly not at war, but in a struggle for dominance with the uh, forces of order, and those are represented not only as a dragon and the the knight of Saint George, but also in the Eastern symbol of the yin and yang, yang being the uh, male orderly force and 
um, yin being the female chaotic force. Now, it sounds derogatory, but it is not. And um, when we say chaotic, we're talking about creative people who are highly imaginative and and not quite as diligent as the orderly people who uh, are generally uh, associated with the masculine. So this is the the, the crux of his um, philosophy or the crux of his observation about Judeo-Christian underpinnings and St. George being the force that is sent out from the from the fortress. Often you'll see in the background of illustrations of St. George and the Dragon, a fortress, a fort. And that represents civilization. That, resent, that represents the high protective walls built around Western canon of literature, the Western tradi- traditions, uh, religious traditions. And the dragon, as I said, represents a similar to the the snake in the Garden of Eden. It represents the forces of chaos that are uh, constantly attacking the orderly and stable walls of of civilization. Yeah, so just taking that for that example, it, it would almost seem today, uh, I mean, especially within the last few weeks, that we, we've been convinced that uh, the fortress is what needs to be taken down. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, to an extent, it needs to be revitalized and it needs to be constant, constantly revitalized and updated and upgraded and made better in a striving toward utopia. But it can never be because we are human beings with various flaws and weaknesses. It can never be totally utopian. That's that's the dream promised by Marxism that is a, a deadly, absolutely um, bloodthirsty in practice. And let me just uh, uh, read a recent email that uh, Dr. Peterson said, uh, sent out that might, might give a better, finer point to the current situation and his, uh, his view of it. He says here, all of Western civilization is the result of patriarchal oppression. And he's quoting the the forces of Black Lives Matter and the resistance and uh, Antifa and the rioters and looters. And this is their point of view, according to him. All of Western civilization is the result of patriarchal oppression. All political, economic, religious, and philosophical systems are based on the desire for power. Race or class or gender or ethnicity is the prime determinant of human value. This is the replacement of actual knowledge with mere verbal fluency. You are not correct merely because you can make an argument, even a good argument, nor because you can make your opponent's position appear absurd, particularly if he or she is not particularly capable of verbal sparring. You are not correct if you spend your time creating straw men and then lighting them on fire. There is nothing productive or good about this line of argumentation. It is merely simplification for the purposes of inciting divisiveness, regenerating tribalism, and justifying revenge. Of course, the system is rife with problems. That's not the point. Compared to what? The past? 
the present, and the rest of the world? And what are you planning to do in your ideological certainty to make even one thing better without insisting that someone else changes to ensure that improvement occurs? Hopefully that gives a little bit of light on the, the current, uh, what, he, what he defines as postmodern neo-Marxism that is driving the, um, the racial divisions and the, um, the rioting that we're seeing today. And one thing before you even mentioned your quote, it seems as if there are folks who think, by definition, the existence of those walls and that uh, uh, fortress, by definition, they need to be torn down. Well, I think that I think that it goes a bit. I think it's a bit more corrupt and more um, <laughs> more corrupt than that, and and much and much more potentially uh, deadly. I mean. Bear in mind that the suicide rate for young women has increased by 70% between 2009 and 2016. Wow. And is incre- has increased by 40% for young men of that age, uh, age range. Um, there's now an epidemic of young women who are mutilating themselves with what's called top surgery to remove their breasts in... Um, I suppose solidarity with the transgender uh, movement that's, uh, you know, that um, believes the biology of men and women is is a social construct. So there's very deadly consequences for the uh, for the approach that uh, is being popularized, and he is, I think, popular, and he is being. Um, lionized because of his his uh, uncompromising stand against all this. That's a great way. I think uh, clarifying what's at stake here, what's going on here, is really one of the values of what Jordan Peterson and his work has, has, has accomplished. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, certainly. And what we don't hear about, what is not very well publicized, and as you've read in the book of my encounter with Jordan, is that he's approached consistently um, in public by people who are wishing him well and wanting to tell him how much they have been in, helped by his his work. So we hear very little about that. We hear instead that, you know, there are many people who accuse him of Nazism and, you know, this really stupid, brain dead uh, accusations. So uh, I think it's important that we know that he takes the 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 um, the culture wars very very seriously, and he sees the effect because he was a dealing with students for so many years. He saw the encroachment of this postmodernism and this nihilistic Marxist um, way of thinking and he 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 was alarmed he was very much alarmed and has seen the destruction of academia of the integrity of academia he has seen the increasing destruction of the younger generations he has seen the increasing corruption of the political process where basically rebellion is now a value of the left and it's on. I mean, this is a Marxist insurrection. This is not a um, 
This is not a, a little protest by people wearing pussy hats anymore. This is a full-on Marxist violent insurrection, and they have absolute um, plans. They have absolutely no compunction about human life or violence to to uh, execute their agenda. So I think that's a good moment to to jump into the content of the book. So um, as you mentioned, uh, Dr. Peterson had seen this coming for a long time, not only because he had his time at Harvard and, and uh, other academic institutions, but more than that, um, you start the Dr. Peterson story from really the beginning. And he sort of dealt with all that in himself. He cons- he was, uh, he considered himself at one time a Marxist. He considered himself uh, someone who might identify with uh, a lot of the folks he's battling today. Can you talk a little bit about yes. his life? Well, he, he, I mean, as Winston Churchill said, if you're not a liberal when you're 20, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative by the time you're 40, you have no head. So <laughs> What we're seeing now with young people uh, was identified by Jung as the uh, Carl Jung as the messianic phase, where they believe that the world can be uh, perfected, and thus the appeal of the utopian uh, pipe dream of of the Marxists. So he has, um, as I say, been he's one of the toughest men I know, a tough tough minded. Not only was he fighting severe depression all of his life, but he managed to achieve an enormous body of work, a healthy family, um, and international um, recognition while dealing with this ever-increasingly vicious onslaught of leftists and third-wave feminists who are attacking him as as they so eloquently put it, a transphobic piece of shit. It almost seemed to me to read, I was discussing this with a few guys in the office today, it seems to me that um, from what I can tell in your book, Savage Messiah, he sort of had um, keying off of Dostoevsky comment about resurrection from the underground. Right. Does that sound, well, that, does that sound right to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can see it in practically any life, there is a vision quest that happens as young people mature, where they have to face their demons and the demons of the world, and they have to conquer them if they're going to be productive uh, and and uh, healthy adults. So his particular, his particular journey through hell, which is a classic motif that was explored um, by another Canadian, Joseph Campbell in Hero with a Thousand Faces, a a look again at mythological, the mythological hero's journey through the underworld. And so what I attempted to do in the book is to document uh, the stages of Jordan's journey through the underworld and relate that to his, his real life um, biography and what each stage represented for Jordan. And you will see in there, there's there's very significant threats of violence, uh, madness, and um, dissolution that he was well along the path to following 
this to his own destruction and and through really the dint of his toughness, just hardcore cowboy, Northern Plains Canadian toughness. He persevered. He found, he dedicated himself to finding the roots of evil. And uh, to a large extent, I believe he succeeded. So uh, the subtitle of your book is How Jordan Peterson is Saving Western Civilization. I'm curious if someone said, well, I mean, how is he doing it? What would you say? I would say that he has put up the cogent arguments against the popular woke culture that exposes them as the philosophical frauds that they are. And he serves us by doing that rather selflessly and courageously. He's stood at the front by himself without any any great support financially or politically from anyone and took the slings and arrows from the from the woke culture and has proved them over time as i say to be a fraudulent and um corrupt force um jim are you optimistic about western civilization yes we always win (laughs) tell me a little bit about that who's we and the we always win well the the forces of truth the forces of of essentially truth as you know shakespeare said truth will out and um light always conquers darkness and the life-sustaining motivation of the judeo-christian value system of western civilization that underpins all of western civilization is an unbelievably powerful force that has been even multiplied by the the American experiment, so that we stood against totalitarian dictatorships on opposite ends of the world and defeated them both simultaneously just a generation ago. There's no way that these adolescent Marxists are going to, uh, who have been defeated so soundly and convincingly all around the world, and every time they attempt to uh, assert their ridiculous utopian vision, we uh, slap them down, and this, it won't be any it won't be any different this time. They'll they'll destroy some statues, they'll kill some young people and some older people, but they won't prevail. Does the current situation at least does it at least uh, surprise you? Maybe at maybe at the pizzazz of this round of the fight? Well, it, it does in that it, 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 it really came on so fast. But when you realize it, that they've been building to this since the 1960s with the indoctrination of, of academia and um, entertainment and uh, politics and their in- incursion into uh, the political discussions, I'm surprised that they've become so powerful so quickly. That's how revolutions happen. I mean, this is 
has happened in the past, the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution. Uh, this is no different, except, of course, it's not going to succeed, in my opinion. And uh, But it is surprising, the viciousness and the absolute unwillingness to to consider the values that they are destroying there's no, actually there's actually no debate going on about the values and the traditions uh, and that they are destroying they're attempting to destroy that is very surprising to me yes one thing that um of that I think has been unique about Dr. Peterson's work with all of the people responding to sort of the cultural madness he seemed to uh have a particular lever that just went a little bit deeper into the uh fundamentals of reality I suppose in terms of uh there was a a discussion that he had with uh with a somewhat prominent atheist that I forget who it was it wasn't Sam wasn't Sam it wasn't those. It was, uh, and I think this atheist is also like a magician or something. Um, I had seen this atheist debate in other in other forums, and I enjoyed what Doctor Peterson was making this atheist say. Things such as, "You have benefited from growing up in a Judeo Christian world. You know the the right. values of the of America. Um, whether you believe in their God or not, you have benefited greatly from that world." And and in there is a sense in which, given that you are, a, in a sense, a Christian, there, there's a sense in which uh, you grew up with those values. You grew up with... Yeah. You're saying it's a rare attack? I, I, I haven't seen anybody in, a main, in, a, in the mainstream make those kinds of arguments, making atheists or um, others uh, ideologically opposed to that grant or concede that... You know, there is a sense in which I've benefited from this, even though it's my goal to tear it down. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fairly recent um, development. As you know, there was a great deal of uh, momentum to the other side saying that the, the Judeo-Christian values, values have got to go. Uh, and I think uniquely Jordan Peterson has, as I mentioned, stood alone against this uh, onslaught, against this ideological chasm. And um, I believe that he is succeeding. Obviously, he is succeeding. He's a leading uh, published author in the world and has been for nearly a year. I mean, his recent post had 1.8 million followers. Uh, you know, he has a standing uh, subscriber base of 2.8 million YouTube followers. So he is enormously influential. And so you're seeing this argument made publicly for the first time, and you're seeing the beginnings of capitulation by the left uh, that we, hadn't, we haven't seen up to this point. And I think you're, you're accurate in that. There was a... Um... Well, let me ask you this first. Well, I think that's super valuable, and it, and and it's fun to watch, uh, sort of, <laughs> like I said, atheists sort of squirm in the sense of having to acknowledge that okay, I do a you know value that is something valuable, I do appreciate that, etc. There's been times where Jordan has been uniquely, um, quiet when the question is brought to him 
do you believe that the person of Jesus Christ was not just a valuable archetype in history who has benefited um, modern day, given all of these kinds of, uh, like I said, the archetypal structures, but was he a man in history who, who died on the cross and was resurrected? Um, he's not ever been very clear about that. Do you know anything I don't? I, I don't think I do. I, I, maybe, you know, I, I understand his philosophical difficulty with the question is, do you believe in God, essentially? And as he has phrased it, um, I'm not sure I'm qualified or, or good enough to believe in God. So it requires a certain level of personal integrity and, and confidence to have that belief, to even be a confessed and, and open Christian. As you know, Christians are and have always been persecuted, but particularly these days, they're being murdered in the Middle East. Uh, they're uh, they're um, insulted throughout the West. Their practice is denigrated uh, throughout the world. And so maybe he just doesn't want to take on another fight right now that pegs him as something else. You know, he, he, he demurs from, conf- you know, be, being a Christian because uh, possibly he, he doesn't feel that that is the fight that he wants to have right now. Let's say you're in Vegas and you got to put money down on this question. Is, do you think he's a Christian? No, I do not. Okay. He would say so if he were. I think that's probably true. I do think, though, he is in, uh, he's in a bit of danger of becoming one if he's not careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, he has, he has a enormous um, series of lectures on the Bible, right. uh, looking at it from the psychological perspective, which is extremely valuable. And so he's an apologist for the Christian view. Uh, whether he accepts the divinity of Christ or not uh, is, a, I think, a private matter with him, and I think a, a, a question that has not yet been settled in his own mind. You've mentioned uh, Maps of Meaning in his book, 12 Rules for Life. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yeah, Maps, for mean- Maps of Meaning was originally called Gods of War, and it was a 12-year effort on his part to to codify everything that he had learned about the development and the importance of meaning in human life. And it was quite academic in its language and a little bit unapproachable, so it wasn't commercially successful. Um, He then, I think, popularized the same ideas and added a bit of advocacy for the Western tradition in in 12 Rules for Life. Obviously, he's boiled it down to 12 rules um, and made it very much, in my view, a parental primer in that he suggests that stand up straight, don't lie, make your bed, you know, fundamental parenting 
for, I think, a generation of young people who are who have been poorly parented. One thing that definitely comes through, not only in those books, but I think his lectures, and especially uh, when he's traveling and he's uh, speaking to large groups of folks, is um, not sure if you've heard of. There's a there was a clinical psychologist of the name Edwin Friedman that uh-huh. um, died, I think, within the last decade. But he wrote a book called Failure of Nerve, and in in it he was fairly critical of empathy. And I've heard Dr. Peterson share, you know, at least rhyme with the sentiments in that um, the thing about sympathy, he distinguishes empathy and sympathy for, uh, and makes a case for there being not not just merely a semantic issue, um, but the idea that someone in sympathy acknowledges and sees someone who's hurting and can be helpful to them, and that doesn't mean necessarily just um, not being empathetic in the way that I think most people mean, but th- at the end of the day, you serve as someone who's pulling them up. Um, and he describes that as essentially sympathy, that you're not necessarily jumping in the ocean with the drowning person to drown with them, but essentially you're going to, you know, one one leg's on the on the shore and the other one's in the water and you're going to pull them out. And yeah, one thing I think today that <laughs> that stings or has always stung is just the idea that there's someone, the hatred for the hierarchy that's innate in that example, that I'm down here and someone thinks they're going to help me out. And I think that's what a lot of people hate. And what I've noticed in Dr. Peterson's work is, man, I don't know anybody who loves the people he's talking with more than Dr. Peterson. Yeah. And I think that's been an un not talked about enough in terms of someone who absolutely loves the people he's trying to help. Yeah, he's at, at his core, he's a healer. He is a psychologist, a clinical psychologist. He he has always kept up a practice, an active practice of dealing with very um, damaged people. And his wife as well is a, a massage therapist, and they are both essentially healers. Uh, that's his core, I would say, his core competency, uh, as well as being a teacher, uh, which is healing through through thought and through practice. But uh, yes, I mean, he is he's very much a uh, a sympathetic and empathetic um, figure, and but very importantly, because Marxism pretends to this as well um, being, as they say, um, throwing off the oppressors of the bourgeois capitalist society. It, it sounds empathetic to, to the working class, which was their initial uh, appeal. But essentially, as, as he points out in, in his work, and that I quoted in in my book, they don't really love the working class. They hate the rich. That's good. And I think it was really George Orwell who first coined that phrase. Uh, And it applies 
as you can see along uh, the, along the entire spectrum from Black Lives Matter, they don't love black people. They hate white people. That's what it's about. And uh, if they if they loved black people, they would be upset at the scores of murders that are happening every week in Chicago. But they've never raised a voice. They would be upset at the failing schools in the inner cities that are promoted by the Democratic Party. But they've never said a word about that. And true black leaders that I've recently uh, come across and, and have been uh, researching, the authentic black leaders of today have no sympathy, have no interest, have no support for Black Lives Matter. The list is really exhaustive of authentic black leaders of note who who put this Marxist Black Lives Matter um, argument to, to, to rest. And um, it has to do with the essential, fundamental um, motivation of all Marxist uh, impulses, which is resentment. They resent people. And so Peterson identified that very early, and I think it's a very important thing to remember. That's good. As I thought about over the weekend, how is Jordan Peterson saving Western civilization? To, to go back to your subtitle, 12 Rules for Life came to mind, and there's a lot of criticism about the kind of advice he offers there. Um, you don't have to necessarily list the certain ones, but what do you think, if 12 Rules for Life is essentially his, here's how to save your life, here's how to save your little pocket of humanity, your little pocket of reality, what kind of advice did he offer, and why is that significant? Well, his offer, as I say, is in uh, at first glance rather parental and and fundamental, as as you alluded to. It's it's stand up straight with your shoulders back and make your bed and don't tell lies and uh, all the things we were taught as children. Uh, but he applies these, I think, because of the simplicity and the immediate uh, comprehension that people have when they see this. And then expounds on the underlying supporting Judeo-Christian values that are encapsulated in these simple rules that he that he says is oft quoted, you know, clean your room kind of thing. Right. What I've always loved and appreciated about that is you see from the opposite end of the ideological spectrum of uh, there's a lot of anxiety about saving the world's ecosystem or yeah. the ozone layer. And right. it seems to me supremely unkind to people who have uh who who are tentative to that to those kind of people. It's for example the uh, a trope of AOC, for example, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who's so frenetic, so uh anxious about the ozone layer or what have you and how supremely unkind that is to her, her uh constituents, I suppose. Um what can they do about it today? The, the contrast is stark, and people can see, look, if you don't make your bed, you're really not even qualified to, to save the planet. Right. If you don't have your own life together, you're, you're no one to, to, to listen to about how the environment is going to be saved from 
you know, these complex and very powerful forces that exist. So if you're just afraid of them, if you just see them and you and you are like AOC, un, unskilled at either finding or doing the research or unconcerned with doing the research on what's behind it, what I can do, what can I do, how do I go about being a person of respect, you're not going to come up with any useful solution. There's nothing useful in saying the sky is falling when there's no solution. It is simply panicking for the attention that brings one. And, and in her case, the political power of that point of view uh, that motivates so many young people in, as we, as they, as I mentioned before, so many of them are in that messianic stage as young people rightly should be, where they want to change and they want to help the world. But if they're being misled by people who are themselves not, not qualified to speak on the matter, like Greta Thunberg, uh, then they're being panicked and made afraid for uh, the worst reasons. And as I said, when we started this discussion, the, the, the suicide rate and the depression rate among young people in the younger generation is, is skyrocketed recently. And that's, I believe, because of this fear-mongering and this panic-mongering and finding racial and financial oppressors and male toxicity and all of this intersectional um, palaver, which is really just uh, a, a Marxism revisited. So, you know, the, people cannot, people can't function well, and people don't mature and people don't learn in a culture of fear. Very good. Well, it's, I mean, if we, if, if someone comes from a culture of disordered thinking, where you wake up in the morning and you don't know what the hell you're going to do first, then it's it's very hard uh, as you mature to develop those habits of orderly contemplation. You know, this goes there, everything in its place. Am I clean? Am I healthy? Have I done what I need to do to take care of myself physically and emotionally? Have I meditated? Have I prayed? Have I done the internal work so that I can meet the the very real challenges of the world without becoming resentful, without becoming overwhelmed, without becoming uh, paralyzed uh, or panicked by fear. These are all the building blocks of a human being, which Jordan is is really concerned with. Jim, I've almost gone over your time. Thank you so oh. much for coming on. Well, listen, I thrilled that uh, you would think to uh, ask my opinion on this, and I, I'm. Last question. So everybody go get the book. It's available on Amazon. Is there any other places you'd love for people to grab it? Barnes and Noble, Goodreads. Okay. Um, so it's all the places. Yeah, it's everywhere. Should um, be in any bookstore. You can order it in any bookstore. Fantastic. While people are waiting uh, for this to ship to them, if you were to send somebody day one introduction to who Jordan Peterson is, where would where would you want them to go? I think just look uh, uh, at his uh, lectures on YouTube, Reality and the Sacred, I think is Perfect. a very good one to, to start with, as you mentioned. Okay, awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. Jim, thanks again. 
Thanks so much again, Jake, and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye.